So many years ago, when I was studying at UW-Madison, I took this philosophy class, and this is literally one of the few things that I remember from not only that class, but my entire experience at UW-Madison. I remember this allegory, which is a story that's meant to communicate some kind of deeper meaning or truth, similar to parables that Jesus uses. An allegory by a philosopher named Plato. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah? Most people have heard of Plato. Maybe you've heard of this allegory. He comes up with this story basically that says there's a group of people who lived their entire life in a cave. Not just in a cave, but they're sitting down against part of the cave with their whole bodies, even their necks, chained to the wall. And all they know, all they can experience is what they see in front of them for their entire lives. And all they see are shadows that a puppet master is messing with them through like through a fire and, and putting little puppets, and they see these shadows chained to the wall, and literally that's all they know to be real of experience. And so they say, well, that's what that means, and that's what that means. Their whole life is based upon what they see in the shadows. And the whole point of the allegory is that, that life is so much bigger than what we see and believe in front of us. You believe that to be true? That life is so much bigger than what we see and, uh, to be, and believe to be true in front of us. So many people believe in God because they say, well, I just believe that there's a, a greater purpose for my life. Even Christians I've heard say this, that that's the, their foundational belief is just that there's a bigger purpose, a bigger meaning, a bigger reason uh, than what we experience in this day-to-day life. But I've wondered, is this life in the cave, chained to the wall, just seeing the shadows in front of us and finding our meaning from those shadows, Is this how we live our lives? Is this how we as Christians live our lives? Do we see the shadows of our faith as we live in the tomb? Do we see the shadows of our faith in God, just the shadows only, rather than a robust view of Jesus and who He is, how He's working, seeing and experiencing the Kingdom of God? Is this how we live? The disciples' faith in Jesus was greatly challenged through His capture, His torture, and His death. How could it not be? Wouldn't you be challenged by that experience if you were following Jesus for real? And notice that the the text that we read, none of the disciples believed that Jesus was resurrected. None of them was saying, hey guys, guess what? I believe it. Jesus is resurrected. It's real. Don't worry about that empty tomb. It's okay. He's resurrected. They all thought at first it was foul play. They ran there not out of excitement, but like, what has happened? Who's taken his body? Notice that none of the disciples believed that Jesus was resurrected, even though, even though intellectually they knew that he was, that's what he said he was going to do. But something was missing. Their view of who Jesus was was just limited by what they were experiencing within that cave kind of tomb feeling that they were currently in. So the disciples' journey from belief began with the news from Mary that something had happened to Jesus. Someone has taken His body. Now we have many examples of the faith of of the disciples, and I'm wondering which one do you relate to? As I recap these different examples, see if there's one that kind of stands out to you as maybe this is your current experience or your experience from the past. It begins with Mary coming and saying that something 
has happened to Jesus. But still, they didn't believe. They expected foul play. But with curiosity, a few of the disciples entered the tomb. One of the disciples saw the evidence of what Jesus had done. And when he saw the evidence, he believed. So Mary stayed in the garden. Mary is still upset. She's grieving and weeping. And Jesus literally meets Mary in her grief. And then she believes. Within her grief, she meets Jesus. And she says, I have seen the Lord. She has a testimony now. I have seen the Lord. And she returned to tell the other disciples. Now the rest of the disciples were gathered together, waiting and wondering with fear in their hearts. Fear of what's going to happen to us now that our leader is gone. They were afraid, but they were drawing strength from one another. Bearing each other's burdens, like we read about later in Scripture from Paul. Bearing each other's burdens. And Jesus then meets them there. Jesus shows the disciples the glorified wounds on His hands and in His side. He breathes onto them the Holy Spirit. And they come to believe. Now Thomas, maybe the most relatable the most common example of the disciples, within his experience of, dis- of disillusionment, which is saying things have not turned out the way that I thought they were going to. This guy, Jesus, that we gave our whole life to, uh, he didn't make good on his promise. He's in an experience of disillusionment and he refuses to believe. And he actually spends time by himself. The others are gathering and he says, I'm not coming. Do you blame him? <laughs> I'm not coming. I'm done with this guy, Jesus. He is not fulfilling His Word. He says, unless I see the wounds, the clear, tangible evidence, unless I see the wounds, I will not believe. And yet again, Jesus, one week later, while Thomas is with the others, he changed his mind and is now gathered with the rest of the community, just where he belonged. Jesus meets Thomas in his unbelief. The tomb of unbelief for Thomas became a birthplace of a testimony as Thomas the doubter proclaimed, My Lord and my God. Friends, the good news in all of these examples is that Jesus came to the disciples. Jesus came to the disciples. He sought them out. He found them in their varying range of experiences. Whether it was a curiosity of what Jesus would do or their grief or they're waiting and wondering with fear and trembling in their heart, or their doubts. Jesus came to each of them. That's the good news for us. And when Jesus came, they saw and they believed. Each of their experiences represents some kind of cave or tomb of sorts. That's what grief and doubt feel like. It's like a a cave or a tomb where everything is dark and blurry We can't see the way forward. Maybe depression feels like this and anxiety. That's what it's felt like for me in seasons of my life. Is this ever going to get better? Is this darkness ever going to lift? Why is life so limited to what I see right in front of me? This is how caves and tombs feel. Caves and tombs are places of waiting and wondering if things will get better or change. Caves or tombs are places of intense loneliness and disillusionment. This is not what I expected from life. Caves and tombs are places of regret or resentment. They're also places of overwhelm and pressure to be the best parent or employee where it just feels so intense and dark and difficult. 
Tombs are places of dealing with change. Places of dealing with addiction or trying to heal past trauma. And what I want to point out to you, friends, is that if we're not careful, we can live in the tombs or caves that we are currently in and we can think that this is all that there is to life. We can see the shadows on the wall and say, well, that's what this means and that's what that means. And, you know, it's, it's pretty okay here. Take a look at this tomb. This is believed to be what um, Jesus' tomb was like. You see, there's kind of like a bed or a bench. That's where they literally laid Jesus was on that big area. And you can take steps down into the tomb. It's pretty big, right? Like, you could hang out in there if you really wanted to. I mean, I lived in a lot of different dorm rooms, and that tomb is bigger than all of them. (laughs) But that's what happens to us so often in life is that we find ourselves in these kinds of tombs, these places where we think we know the meaning and purpose of our lives, and it's oftentimes trying to understand our grief and our pain or our overwhelm, and we say, well, I think I know what this means. I'm just going to hunker down and stay put because it's really comfortable here. And I got my Netflix going. I got my ice cream. I got my couple, two or three friends that I know that they'll be there if I call, and I'm, I'm going to just stay right here in this tomb. But friends, what I'm here to tell you today is just like Jesus met the disciples in their lives, Jesus comes to us in our tombs or our caves to meet us there as well. Jesus meets us when we have a willingness to believe in who Jesus is. That's what happened with them. Their willingness to believe in Jesus led to their experience of His resurrection. And their experience deepened their belief in Jesus. Their experience deepened their belief in Jesus. Helping them to acknowledge that there is so much more to life than their normal view. So much more than what they normally view. And they discovered that life is so much bigger than what is experienced within the tomb. But friends, this is tough for us today, isn't it? It's tough for us to believe that Jesus will meet us in our pain and in our disillusionment and will uh, give us an experience of His resurrection power because most of us, maybe I'm wrong, most of us have not experienced a literal encounter with the resurrected Christ. Anybody? Anyone? Probably not. No. No, that's not our experience. Like we see evidence of Jesus working and we can, you know, come to believe that this is true and that's true about Jesus, but most of us don't have a literal encounter with Jesus. Some people say they hear God's voice and I believe them. That's not my experience. I don't ever when I'm in prayer, I don't ever say That's clearly God speaking to me and I understand and I'm going to go forth in faithfulness and obedience. If that's you, I believe you and that's awesome. But that's not not what I experience. Most of us have to choose to believe first. We have to choose to believe that Jesus is who He says He is and then step forward in faith. Maybe that's why He says this to Thomas. You would think that Jesus would be really excited for Thomas, which I'm sure He was, and say, You got it, Thomas. Good job. Now, you're good. No, actually, in this really confusing thing, Jesus says to Thomas, have you just believed in me because you've seen me? Is that why you believe in me? Because you've seen me? There's there's something to be said here that maybe Jesus is 
saying you're kind of missing the point if you have to see to believe. Then he goes on to say, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Jesus says this, blessed are those who have not seen and come and yet come to believe. Later, this guy named John who wrote this entire book, what we call the Gospel of John, says this. It's sort of a summary statement of the entire Gospel. All the things that we've learned about through John's Gospel and all the things that Jesus has done. He said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that through believing, believing comes first, through believing you may have life in His name. Friends, all of Jesus' ministry and all of His life was to bring you to this point of belief. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Messiah? Savior? Do you believe that He was resurrected from the dead? Because if not, then it all seems kind of like a wash, doesn't it? Why would I listen to what Jesus says? Why wouldn't I wouldn't just rather listen to Buddha? Or some other faith? Why would I listen to Jesus? Because actually what Jesus says is really hard. He says a lot of really hard, challenging things. And so we have to decide, do we believe that He is Lord? Do we believe that He's risen? Do we believe that He's with us today, redeeming our lives? What Jesus and John now are submitting to you, and I would echo, is that all of life, all of life, the highest of joys and the lowest of lows, all of life is intended by God to get you to this point of belief. To believe that Jesus is present in every moment of your life. Every moment. So that means that the darkest of moments are actually opportunities for us to believe. That's because, friends, if we choose to believe first, then we can face the tombs or the caves of our life with courage and faith that we will find evidence that Jesus is healing, redeeming us, and encouraging us to move forward. If we don't believe first, we'll never have the courage to face darkness in our lives. It's one of the hardest things to do is to acknowledge those cave or tomb kind of experiences where everything just feels hard it is the most challenging thing that we go through in life to turn to the darkness and say, you do not have the last say. That's the most difficult thing to go through in life. And if we believe that Jesus will be there with us, like Psalm 23, though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. If we believe that, then we can face those difficult things in our life. Facing the tombs or the caves becomes a process of deepening our faith with experiences of an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. I call these moments uh, redeeming moments. Moments of redeeming grace. There have been many times where I've had to keep moving forward through painful seasons of growth and self-discovery 
or acknowledging past shame and guilt and mistakes, lots of regret or remorse or even resentment. And I continue to press forward and to lean in to Jesus, including the examples I've talked to you about many, many times of small group back in uh, Lake City in 2008. And every time that I'd come across this painful experience or a painful season, I would continue to move forward believing that Jesus would somehow be working through that time of struggle and difficulty. I find myself in a current season like that as I progress through Al-Anon family groups because of the alcoholism in my family and realizing the significant side effects of being an adult child of an alcoholic. And right now, I'm on, see if this sounds fun to you, I'm on step four of the 12 steps. Yes, it's not just for alcoholics, it's for the people who have been affected by alcoholism. And in step four, you make a list of all your resentments, and then you journal them out specifically. Resentments, fears, harms, and then there's some other stuff that I'm not going to mention. Do any of you like to like, examine the darkest parts of your life and say, well, that was a nice little lesson I learned out of that? <laughs> no, it's, it's not fun. But this is what I experience in, in other moments of these redeeming moments is that all of a sudden God will put somebody in my life who is struggling in an exact same way. And in this divine moment, I have everything to offer that person. All the darkness that I walk through all of a sudden now is a way to help encourage someone to move forward no matter what kind of darkness you've gone through. That's redeeming grace. That's what Jesus does in our lives when we have a willingness to believe that He is present. To continue to move through the dark seasons of life. And yes, the the highest of highs as well. But do any of us really say that we need Jesus when we're (laughs) having the best day of our lives? Probably not. You know, we just experience it. We just enjoy that time with Jesus. And it's through the dark times that we need to know that God is with us. As I trust Jesus through the painful journey of transformation and healing, He provides those moments where I can see evidence of the work that He's done. And I promise you that the same will be true for you. But you have to believe. And you have to not try and cover up the hard things in your life, but to talk about them. Or to look at them and try and understand, well, why is that happening within me? Why did that happen in the past? Why do I still feel shame or guilt about that? Why do I still feel like I'm in the cave? Why am I just looking at the shadows still? Why do I not see Jesus for everything that He is and that I proclaim with my lips that He is? As I choose to believe and then act on that belief, what I discover, this is what I discover, is that yesterday's tomb is tomorrow's testimony. Yesterday's tomb, or even today's tomb, is tomorrow's testimony. If I choose to believe. If I choose to press forward with curiosity about who Jesus is. So going back to Plato's allegory. It's really interesting. One prisoner escapes from the cave. Breaks free. I don't know how that happened. Who set the guy free? (laughs) How did he break free of those chains after all those years? It's made up. Don't worry. He breaks free and he gets out of the cave and it's been so long, he's lived his whole life in the cave that his eyes literally, it took a while for him to be able to open his eyes because he's never used them before. 
only in the cave and he's just experiencing life with such greater joy and exhilaration than ever before. Life is so much bigger than I ever thought possible, he says. But then compassion sets in. And he says, I have to go back to the cave and free my friends. I've spent my whole life with them. And all they, what they think is reality is just the shadows on the wall. They're next chained to the, to the wall. So he goes back to save them. And you know what they do? <laughs> they make fun of him. They don't believe him. They say, you're crazy. And in fact, they really think it's hilarious that because his eyes have adjusted and now he sees the bigger picture, the bigger reality, we could say the kingdom of God his eyes have adjusted so much that he can't even see the shadows anymore. What's wrong with you? You can't even see the shadows. That's what life is all about. And they make a law that says if anyone ever tries to escape again, that they will kill that person because it's such a threat to their way of life. Friends, this Easter, let's not, that, let's not let that be us. Let's not just say that even though Jesus is risen and, and that changes everything for us, that we're going to continue to look at the shadows because that's what we're used to. Let's, let's turn to Jesus and say, Lord, help me to know more of You. Help me to know more depth of, of what it's like to follow You. We can take uh, some action steps from the examples that we see in Scripture. We can set out to investigate who Jesus is and what He says has happened like the disciples did, who ran first out of suspicion, but then out of curiosity and entered the tomb. We can set out to investigate through reading Scripture for ourselves or devotionals, through participating in small group experiences, through learning about Jesus and the depths of our faith. We can go into the tomb literally and say, I'm going to face this darkness, but what I have to do first, which this has been my experience, is first I have to go to Therapy. I have to talk with someone who knows what they're talking about, about this traumatic thing that's happened. Or I'm going to talk to, you can always come and talk to me as a pastoral counselor. I would cherish that kind of opportunity. You can go into the tomb by meeting with groups, specific groups like recovery groups that can help you sort through things that many people have been through before and hear their shared experience of, uh, of hope and transformation. You can take this action step of just grieve. Grieve your losses. Weep. Lament. Tell God, this is hard, God, and I don't think this is fair. That's what Mary was doing, and Jesus met her in that experience. Meet with others for vulnerable, meaningful connection and relationship. That's what the disciples were doing while they were afraid. All of us are afraid of something right now in these times that we find ourselves in. We don't have to be afraid alone. We don't have to pretend like we're, we have it all together even in our faith. And that's the last thing is express your doubts and your laments like Thomas did. You know, I want to believe. You can say this out loud in a church. I want to believe, but I have some real issue with this part of Scripture. I don't quite get it. And we can be confident that in those spaces we will discover evidence of Jesus' resurrection and experience together His redeeming grace. Friends, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He has escaped the limitations of this life and invites us 
to believe in Him and His resurrection power. He's here. He's working. And He's inviting you and me to life in His name through believing. Amen.